0: But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. From the gospel according to St. Luke, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A few weeks ago from this pulpit, I stressed the importance of hearing with our ears the Word of God. To condense that sermon down, the first point was that the hearing of the Word brings about in us renewed faith, prayer, and repentance. It brings us to obedience, specifically to the living Word Jesus. The second point was that through this public proclamation of Scripture, Christ is proclaimed to the nations, to the poor, to the blind, to the lame, to the lost. And it is through this public proclamation that men, women, and children are brought into Christ's body, the church. The third point was that this is a great joy, and in this world so depressed and seemingly defeated by sin and death, the joy of the gospel the joy of response to the gospel is beautiful and as i prepared for this sermon i found that i'd actually set myself up quite well 2 weeks in advance without knowing it to preach on the text from the fifth, from this text on this text from the 5th chapter of luke's gospel we read here that jesus returns from preaching in the synagogues of judea and he goes to galilee The best guess would be that he's back in Capernaum, the home base of the disciples along the North Shore. We read that the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, so much so that he was being pushed out into the sea. Consider this for a moment, just kind of what this would have been like, Jesus standing there and the people pressing hard on him. Uh, They've lost all sense of propriety, and they don't quite care if they push the preacher into the ocean. In many places in the Old Testament, the word of God, it does something else to the people. It becomes loathsome to them. The Israelites, you remember, gather around the base of Mount Sinai, and they cannot bear to hear the word of God anymore as the Ten Commandments are given to them. They beg Moses to ask God to no longer speak to them publicly, for they are afraid that they will die. I remember also this morning Jeremiah, for whom the word of the Lord had become a reproach and a derision all the day long. But here the people press upon Jesus. They cannot get enough. Their hearts are stirred up by his teaching, by this teaching which he delivers as the word incarnate. And then we read that some of the disciples come in from a long night of fishing, and they're washing their nets. As this teaching is going on, the word used here for washing is a word often used for washing clothes. It likely includes the sense that they are mending their nets. They're getting them back in order to be used again. But one should not imagine that they are using soap and water for this task. Instead, they're sitting there on the shore, meticulously going through every bit of net, pulling all the debris that would have been collected through the night checking for damage. This is a toil of sorrow when there are no fish in that net. No profit, all cost. Nothing worth eating, all is worthless. But by these fishermen, one of whom was Simon Peter, we see that there are two boats. Now this is an essential detail and we'll, see, we'll soon see why. Why? One of these boats belongs to Simon Peter, and at Jesus' request, they push off from the shore. Jesus in Peter's in Simon's boat. Now you can imagine Jesus sitting on the prow of this boat and teaching. Now I've been to this spot on the Sea of Galilee, and you can walk out probably about 50 feet, maybe longer without the water going much past your ankles. Now, maybe this is just because pilgrims have brought rocks to throw in the, in, the, in the sea right there, but I think it's also because it is actually rather shallow. Jesus is instructing the people from this boat, owned by one of his disciples, seated, the posture of great authority and power. But this is not a place to catch fish, especially after a long night of catching nothing. And when Jesus had concluded his teaching, he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus had gotten into the boat for the purposes of teaching the crowds, of delivering the word of God to them. But now he delivers his word to Peter in a dynamic and fruitful way. Put out into the deep. Now this would have been a strange request. Fishermen like Simon would have only fished at night. It made the boats invisible to the fish and it was the best time to get a catch. Some of you may have had a grandfather who liked to get up before the sun came up to go out fishing. Mainly because it's quiet and people leave you alone. But now in broad daylight, with a crowd likely watching, Jesus commands Simon. Put out into the deep and put down your nets for a catch. You see, the night of darkness and toil is over. The light of the Word of God brings obedience in the disciples, and in that obedience, fruitfulness. The long toil of the people of God had yielded nothing, their work has been fruitless, it has brought sorrow and grief. Part of the grief of being a Jew in this time was thinking, we've been through all of this over and over and over again, and what is the point? The only thing left to do is mend feeble nets, remove the debris, and try it again. But listen to what happens here. Listen to what Simon says. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Simon's idea is that he will work and he will take he will take what is his. This word is translated as take on purpose. It denotes taking for oneself by one's own toil. And yet Simon continues. He doesn't say, look, Jesus, we've worked all night. We've taken nothing. He responds to the word in faith. But at your word, I will let down the gnats. Note the difference. Simon is obedient to the word of Jesus, obedient to Jesus himself. He operates according to Jesus' divine authority in all creation. He does what he is commanded to do. And the word he uses is very important. There's a kind of wordplay going on here. He lets down the nets. Simon uses language that at the very opposite End of toil and taking, he relaxes the nets. He slackens them. he He loosens them. Here I must say this. When we become obedient to Jesus, obedient to his word, toil subsides and ease sets in. Because it is not our labor which produces fruit, but the word of God, which is living and active. Now that is not to say that this labor is easy, Because as we will see, it can become almost overwhelming. What it is to say is that obedience results in work that is powered by divine grace and therefore fruitful. When those nets go down, powered by the word of Jesus, they enclose a great shoal of fish, so much so that the nets start to break. They cannot be hauled in by one boat or one crew. They must be hauled into two boats by two crews. Ancient commentators loved this. They went nuts with it. People like Ephraim of Syria and Augustine and I believe John Chrysostom as well all say that these two boats symbolize both the circumcised and the uncircumcised. The one boat, the boat of Simon, is the boat of the Jews. The other, the boat of the Gentiles. But both are needed to contain this one great catch. The net of the church straining to contain all. All those within it. And I should say that's true today. The net of the church strains to contain those who are within it. They constantly want to flop out and back into the ocean. And even these boats are not enough, for we read that they begin to sink under the weight of so great a catch. We see in this text all of salvation history coming together. Israel, apart from God, apart from his word, ruined by sin and death, is a nation of toil and despair. Though the word is continually proclaimed in the synagogues, the people believe in their own ability to toil and take. And they have become a nation of sorrow. A nation which must continually clean their fruitless nets. Points us to the, to, the, to the constant cleanliness of the Pharisees. Constantly picking at the net. But when the nets of affliction and toil are exchanged for the nets of the Word, as Augustine points out, the living incarnate word of God Jesus Christ, a great catch is enclosed, and it is so great that even when the even that net begins to break under the weight. And another boat. If we follow the fathers here, a boat of the Gentiles with other workers is brought to the aid of the other so that none may be lost. We're witnessing a preview to the Acts of the Apostles in a sense. And even that too, that other boat, the catch is too much. And that boat begins to sink as well. And here a surprising, things ha- a surprising thing happens. Simon leaves off his fisherman pragmatism and does something surprising. You would figure, I would figure, that a man whose boat was sinking under the weight of a huge catch might throw enough of the fish back into the sea to live to fight another day. (laughs) Let that boat regain buoyancy. That's the most expensive thing that I've got is my boat. Let my nets remain unfazed by this great catch. Throw some fish back. I'm a fisherman. I'll do it tomorrow. I did it yesterday. I'll do it tomorrow. But Peter has a different idea. Simon has a different idea about this. He's, 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 something's happening to him. You might think as well that he might himself jump out of the boat and tell the others to do the same. Get out of the boat. Save the fish. Save the fish. This is a great catch. Save them. We'll jump out of the boat and thereby haul it in by swimming. As hard as that might be. But Simon does something completely out of the blue. He falls down at Jesus' knees in worship. Jesus is still seated there. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now let me say this on a personal note. I have learned through the years that it is precisely when I am obedient to Jesus when I preach the gospel in season and out of season, when I preach the word unflinchingly, when I preach even things you don't want to hear and even things I don't want to say. It is then that much fruit has been born for the gospel and for Jesus. And it is then that I'm struck most by my own sinfulness, my own unworthiness. It is precisely then that I am called to worship. And these two go together. We see in this that disobedience, the disobedience of toil, of working apart from Jesus, bring presumption and pride and arrogance from the pit of hell. But ministry wrought in obedience to Jesus and by his power bring great fruitfulness, but also great humility, true worship. Brothers and sisters, let us not toil or labor by our own power apart from the living and authoritative word of Jesus. Let us not work apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let us not work apart from the authority of the apostles to do so. You can see this, that Peter is already being formed to be a great shepherd of the sheep who will leave the 99 and go after the one. A great fisher of men. He will not leave any of them behind. That whole catch has to be brought in. Even if he himself should die. He does not desire that any be lost. And instead of jumping ship or throwing some of them out, he turns to Jesus in worship and penitence. Beloved, may that be true of me and may it be true of you. That when the stresses of holding this whole dang thing together get to be too much, that we would get on our knees and penitence and worship, and we would adore Jesus, adore him in his word, adore him at this altar. May that be true of every true shepherd in the church, every shepherd in the church's service. I ask you to pray for me, I ask you to pray for our future bishop as well, that not one may be lost. That all of us may in seeking to preserve that none of us may in seeking to preserve our lives jump from this ship and thereby lose you. I mean, Peter gets this, like either he's going down with the fish, or they're all going to live together. At this astounding catch, he is granted humility and not pride. And I often find this is true of people who have become disobedient in ministry. They're so filled with their own pride that they can't possibly be fruitful. And then they still in their pride think, well, if only I had the right net, if only I had the right boat, everything would work. And it doesn't work that way. That's not the deal. Peter gets the only thing he has to offer is Jesus himself and his word, and that's it. He doesn't have anything else. But look in this last section. Look at the goodness and mercy of Jesus to Simon on that day. Note what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, Yeah, Simon, I'm going to relieve you of duty. You've got to get out of the boat. We've got to haul in all these fish. You know, Simon, you're done. You've got to resign. You're done. You haven't, you've not been up to snuff. This isn't enough. You need to do better. I mean, how many churches have you been in that did that to their pastor? He says to him, Do not be afraid. Peter has so much to fear. He has death to fear. He has judgment to fear. He has the weight of a world of sorrow. And you and I have the same. We labor in the midst of a world that is deeply depressed. Which has in so many ways gone so far astray from God that it no longer even misses Him. It is a world of toil and sorrow and misery and picking at nets and working through the night without a catch. Our culture has the potential to fill us with fear fear for our children, fear for our own lives. It is cruel, it is deadly. It is a culture of death in the face of the church. It seeks the death of the unborn, the elderly, and it makes a ridicule of any that might stand against it. And you know what follows ridicule, don't you? Violence. I am, I am, I am as convinced as I ever have been that we as the church, in remaining faithful to the word of God, will face violence against us. It's the only way this can go. But hear that encouragement of Jesus. Hear it. It's for you too. It's for me. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From here on out, you'll be catching men. How's that good news? Well, let's talk about it for a bit. When the church leaves off fear and endless toil, when the church leaves off pride, and when the church leaves off self-reliance, and it joins with Jesus in the making of disciples, let me tell you what happens. The church becomes full of joy, full of life. I mean, do you know why there are so many babies in the pews? Do you know? You make disciples, you get little disciples. That's how it works. (laughs) You aim at multiplication, and people multiply. Have you looked around lately? We don't just need new fixed-up nets or new boats. We need another boat. A bigger boat, perhaps. I know I mention this often, but the heat in this building is the least of our worries. I mean, we've got to do something quickly. And pray that God will do something quickly about so great a catch. The nets will break, we'll lose people. The bishop asked me as I was sitting next to him on Monday. He said, So, so when are you gonna add another service? And I said, Bishop, we just did. So, well, how many people are coming to? About 30 people. And he's like, Well, when are you gonna add a third service? I said, Bishop, we can't add a third service, there's no space. And he said, What do you mean? I said, we use all the space all morning long. And he said, well, why can't you have a service during catechesis? And I said, Bishop, the people wouldn't have it. They're hungry for good teaching. They're hungry for the word. That's how we've done this. And he looked at me and he went, oh, well, mm, that was it. It was just like, (laughs) he was sort of happy with that. Okay, fine. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what to make of that conversation. Uh, (laughs) But, but friends, at this fact, I'm filled with joy. I mean, what a joy to have such a catch. But I'm also filled with mourning for my own sins and my own inadequacies. I think I see them more clearly. I see how my own sin grieves the heart of Jesus, deeply, deeply grieves him. I see my need to fall down on my knees and worship him more, not less. And I hope the same is true of you. But I must see his word to me, his word to you is this. Do not be afraid, sinful one. You will be catching men. In the end of this passage, we see the disciples' call to obedience is completed. It's a very simple little phrase. They bring the boats to the land, and then they left everything to follow Jesus. I don't think everything is unqualified here. They even left the fish in the boats. (laughs) I think they knew that the fish weren't the point anymore. Something else was going on. A new calling had been put in their lives. Something much, much, much greater. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. For from here on out, you'll be catching men.